welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. I think the responsibility and what makes great organisations are ones that accept uh, when they make mistakes and when they do things wrong that they fix them. In our latest Blue Notes podcast, business and community leaders including ANZ CEO Shane Elliott, Climate Works Australia Chair John Thwaites, Australian Council of Superannuation Investors CEO Louise Davidson, Brotherhood of St. Lawrence Executive Director Tony Nicholson and Latrobe Valley Bus Lines Founder and Director Rhonda Renwick sat down to discuss the ever-changing issues around corporate and social responsibility. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So Shane did mention before about some of these challenges that we're facing. Many of them are global challenges like climate change or inequality. But many of the challenges are very local, like the sort of uh, challenges that Rhonda would see in a changing community like La Trobe Valley. And today we want to look at what is business's role in addressing those challenges. Certainly businesses can bolster their reputation by being involved in the community. It's an important part of their social licence to operate because people do expect businesses to do more than just make a profit. But I also think businesses have to be careful or they're going to be accused of greenwashing and just ticking a box when it comes to this area. And... What is critical is for businesses to mainstream doing good, doing the right thing, being sustainable, not seeing it as something off at the side. And I imagine, Shane, that's what you're seeking to do as you give the whole organisation a purpose. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't me seeking to do it, which is an interesting point, actually. And this wasn't an attempt to manage reputation. This is actually a grassroots movement from the people at ANZ who, through a whole bunch of programs, came to us and said, and this goes back three years ago before I was chief executive, and I just happened to be sponsoring one of these programs, said, hey, we get the strategy, we like the vision, we've got these values, but there is something missing here, the sense of why. why, What is ANZ for? Why do 50,000 people come to work every day? What are we here to achieve? And so it was actually a demand from our people that started this thinking, and then we went back to basics and said, well, you know, we're 185 years old, we've been here. Something has sustained us over that period of time. What is that? And the people described the process as, we didn't sit down with a blank piece of paper and make up a purpose. They described it as an archaeological dig. You go back and you... So we spoke to people who'd been in the bank a long time, customers, government, shareholders and others, and said, well, what, what is it that has sustained us? And we should kind of rediscover that. And that's about you know, shaping a world where people and communities thrive. So it's not about me imposing it on the organisation or having to push people to do it. People, people wanted some clarity and some definition around that. And, and that's great. Um, where's it up to now? So um, I think where we have been cautious is we don't want to go out at a big splash and put adverts in the newspaper and say, this is what we're doing. Because I, I, you know, I, I think that kind of greenwashing is, a, is an easy, we would be an easy target. So what we've done is we've done a whole lot of work. And again, it's not me, people in this room. We've done a whole lot of work about crafting. Well... In that, to make that purpose real, what would we have to do? So we said, well, there are three things. We'd have to be really clear about who do we bank? We have to bank people who share values that we do. If they're not in the business of helping, you know, communities and people thrive, we shouldn't be there. So who we bank, how we behave, how we behave with our customers, 
what we do for them, how we explain things, how we educate them, etc., etc. And the last thing, the causes that we care about, that we have a relevant voice and a point of view that people will, you know, listen to. And again, we've said, you know, financial well-being, the environment, and housing. So now we've said that's our framework, and now we really want to embed that thinking in everything we do. What's really important, this is not about a series of rules. We don't have a manual. There's not a bunch of rules saying you should do these, you shan't do that. This industry good, that one bad. This, you know, it's about making sure that when people are making decisions, everyday decisions, in branches, call centres, in marketing meetings, and technology uh, decisions, that they consider the impact on the community, around people, around those causes, and everything that they do. That, hey, we've done some things that we shouldn't have. But like in any situation, whether it's in a family or a business or any kind of community group, we don't, things don't always go perfectly. But I think the responsibility and what makes great organisations are ones that accept uh, when they make mistakes, when they do things wrong, that they fix them. And they fix them in the eyes of the customer and all those stakeholders and then make sure they don't happen again. I think that's a really interesting insight about what your people want because I imagine what they don't want is to go to the Christmas barbecue and say, oh, I work at a bank and immediately be told, <laughs> oh, you know, you better mind the silver. You know, the research is pretty clear. When you go and ask people about the industry, they have all these views about the industry. But when you ask them about their bank, what, whoever their bank might be, whether it's ANZ or not, and generally they go, oh, no, 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 my bank's fine. My, my branch is great. The people I deal with are lovely. You know, I have no issues. But, the, the, but they, them, that industry, that thing, you know, they're bad. And so it's a really interesting. You know, it's interesting at the same time where trust is low in our sector, customer satisfaction has never been higher. You know, so when you go and ask people, are you happy with your bank? People, more people say yes than ever before. So there is, this, there is this kind of dilemma out there. And I do want to pursue one other issue on this. You, you said that the bank and the banks need to acknowledge their mistakes. But how do you pay more than lip service to that? What, how do you actually find what those mistakes are? How do we find them? Well, we're lucky our customers help us out in that regard. Um, they, they let us know. And, well, they do. And I think the point is that when people come in and, and, and tell us things is to pay them due respect by not assuming that they're wrong, by listening. And then we, so we fix it, fix it for that individual, and then go and look and say, is there a systemic problem? Is there more to this? What can we learn from this, and how do we make sure that we put things right? So I think finding the issues has not been a problem. I think there's been an issue in terms of our attitude or our approach when we've been told uh, in the past. We haven't paid enough attention to some of those messages, and that's that issue about kind of losing touch. You know, we were... Um, I think there was an attitude that as long as what we were doing was, you know, kind of legal, we, we, we should just get on and do it. Um, and we forgot that issue about community expectations. Well, talking about community expectations, I guess one of the things the community wants is to have some level of collaboration with uh, business, civil society and government to solve these major challenges. So I'd like to explore this issue of collaboration and partnerships a bit if I can and ask Tony, uh, someone who has partnered with the ANZ for uh, uh, quite a long time, how do you choose who to partner with and what are the expectations an organisation like the Brotherhood has for business partners? Yes, well, we have a... Uh had long had a saying in the Brotherhood of St Lawrence that we will join hands with anyone who shares our objectives. So 
what I've learned out of partnerships with uh, corporations like the bank and, and with government uh, is that it's critically important. There are a couple of things you really need to be you know, have great clarity about. The, the first is to really have clarity around uh, the understanding of the opportunity of the problem you're trying to address and what you're trying to achieve. When I've found um, partnerships have unravelled, it's because you haven't spent the time to really nail that issue. What is it that we really want to achieve? And you get into that conversation somewhere down the track where someone says, well, hang on, that's not what we were in, in this for. So I think that's really uh, critically important. And there's a second thing, I, what I've found works best is when there's clarity about what each ro uh, partner's role is mm. and, and that that role uh, reflects one of the core capabilities of that partner. So we saw about Saver Plus earlier. Uh, the Brotherhood wouldn't have been able to do Saver Plus uh, without the bank's capacity around financial uh, literacy, uh, capacity through its networks of branches and also it be able to put up the uh, matching money. But on the other hand, the, uh, the bank wouldn't be able to do it without organisations like the Brotherhood and its partners have a reach into communities and can engage the more disadvantaged families. So that I, I think it's really important that um, the, the, each partner... Uh, plays to its core capacities. And then you've got a much greater chance to bring it to scale. And how do you design that? Say with Saver Plus, how did you put the program together so you did each use your core capacities? Uh, well, um, it's uh, in the welfare jargon, it's co-design. <laughs> Jane Alden's <laughs> nodding. Um, but I think it's... Um, really important to get the governance around these issues, these partnerships right. So having the right people at the table to do the design uh, and, and to start implementing it. But governance is very, very important for other things because, um, you know, these partnerships are at the best when they last over time. If you think Saver Plus, it's, uh, uh, it's flourished under three CEOs in the bank. Probably there's been eight or ten federal ministers uh, and there's been change of personnel at, at the Brotherhood. So getting that governance right so that you are able to stay on track, make adaptions as you go, uh, is important. But also the, the partnership governance group is important for having those conversations. Because what I've learnt is that the Brotherhood of St Lawrence has actually learnt a lot from the bank because we've been in discussions... We've tried to understand. One of the pleasant things is that you find in the bank there are people that share your values. And, and so that conversation is very important to learn from one another. Uh, that's critically important to make sure a, a partnership in the longer run is sustainable. So yeah, Tony indicated that he's had three CEOs. Outside, he indicated that in, in his time as CEO of the Brotherhood of St Lawrence, he's had 320 board members. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so that's a governance challenge. Uh, well, Louise, from an investor perspective, uh, if I could ask you, does AXI place a particular focus on the way in which the companies that 
your funds invest in engage with the community or collaborate with the community? Yeah, I think um, it's a critical issue from our perspective. So our members are big superannuation funds and between them they own about 10% of most listed companies, big listed companies in Australia. And so they have a real, really strong interest in the sustainable long-term performance of those companies. And uh, I think we're operating in an environment, a low, a low trust environment. All of the, you know, surveys are showing that. And it's not just of banking, although banking's in the sites, clearly. Um, but it's a broader business trust issue. And from our perspective, um, it's really critical for businesses to recognise that issue and think about how they can address it. And I, I thought Shane's point about it's not enough just to, um, for your operations just to meet your legal obligations because there is a broader societal expectation about what business will do. So when we're talking to companies, that's one of the conversations that we're having is about how do they authentically connect with their communities. So the super funds are investing money on behalf of these people who are seeing it as their retirement income, their major interest surely is just maximising that. So why would a super fund be interested in anything beyond maximising the interests of its members? Uh, well, I think they're consistent in actual fact. So, um, I, And I think that's what you, the fund manager you spoke to was reflecting, Shane, is that, uh, and our view certainly, is that companies that manage community properly, manage environment, etc., and understand their broader role in society are going to be the companies that have that provide long-term good returns for members of super funds. And, well, that leads on to a question for Rhonda, really, because you're operating at a, a medium-sized enterprise level where the rubber really hits the road, literally, with the bus lines, um, and uh, where you've chosen to actually invest in your local community. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that, but also what has been the business impact of doing that? Well, for us, um, we put the community and the environment number one in all we do. And over the last few years, five years, we've gone through every policy procedure and made sure that we actually state that. And we've actually, that's made us think about how the community views us the good and the bad. We don't, um, we like to hear, we don't just want to hear the good stories, we want to hear the things that we don't do so well. And um, through putting the environment um, foremost as well, we've in, uh, invested in technology that we, we introduced to Australia that actually is mandated in Europe, but not regulated here in Australia. So we've brought in the best possible um, engines that we can run and we've actually um, just signed off on eight um, hybrid vehicles. The first will go into manufacturing in January in Melbourne. But the thing that we've, we've noticed is that people are responding to that. They actually like the hybrid vehicles because they're quiet, they're smoother, there's, oh, there's the ambience. But what they like most of all is that we are prepared to take those initiatives for our community. And they, they see it as um, something that they're proud of. Um, we did recently a... We took an opportunity to work with a number of the 
service providers in the area. Um, there's about 15 different service providers uh, to set up a meeting place in one of the poorest neighbourhoods in the Tri Valley. And what we did was we drew a mud map. Rather than a bus timetable that people mightn't be able to read or access, we actually drew where this corner shop was and where you could get to Aldi and McDonald's and the places that we knew that people were interested in. And well, well they were landmarks anyway. Um, and then we, we monitored the number of travellers to that area. And within a couple of months, we had a 22% increase mm. in people using that service to that community centre. Now, it was a way that we could measure the impact without being invasive because the people that we were encouraging to come and meet and to develop a community for um, ha are totally over being interviewed, being asked questions, being <laughs> they do not want to see any government organisation ask them any more questions. <laughs> and so this was a sort of an interesting way for us to be able to monitor how people do view travelling on buses, how they do view um, coming together as community. So they're the sorts of things that we um, use to help understand our customers, but also to measure the impact we're having. And I think what that also highlights in uh, collaborating with the community, the importance of place, mm. that people relate very much to their neighbourhood, their place, and if you show them a mud map, they relate to that. Shane, how does an organisation like the ANZ, which is huge throughout you know, Australia and much of the Pacific, deliver on, on a place basis? How, how do you decentralise what you do to a degree so you can have relationships that take into account? Well, uh, you know, that's sort of back to the future. And in fact, Anna is part of the ABA. We've been having these conversations about, you know, one of the great assets of the banking industry in the past was the local bank manager and the branch and yeah. members of the community that were pillars of the community, actually. People who were respected, people who gave advice. You went to, you know, you put your best suit on to go and ask the bank manager advice on, on whatever. And we sort of lost our way with that a little bit. And we, and we changed the nature of what happens in those places. And actually, we took away a lot of authority from the branches and we centralised everything. So I think it's a, a matter of kind of going back to that back to the past and, you know, again, enabling our branches. I, you know, I've told the story multiple times about the very... The day that I got announced as CEO, the next day we said we're going to go and visit some branches and we were in Sydney, but the first one I did in Melbourne was out at Kyneton, which is a little town not very far away. It's not very big at all and the branch manager was there and I was seeing the... You know, they have a scorecard in the branches which have become famous on these parliamentary inquiries. And we went, what is on the scorecard? And the scorecard was about how many things they were doing. And I asked the branch manager, been in the bank a long time, how do you reconcile that with doing the right thing in your local community? And he said, well, it's easy. I live here. And if I do anything wrong, they know where I live. Yeah. And, uh, and I see them at the netball and I see them at the supermarket. And so I am a member of this community as well. And I think that's the simple principle we just need to go back to. And that is as true, by the way, whether you're in a suburban part of Melbourne or Sydney as it is in rural uh, Victoria. So it's about just empowering our people and trusting them um, and giving them the tools. Again, giving them those guidance around what's our purpose, how do we think about things, what are the values we want you, and then empowering people to, and allowing them to make decisions. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying that how marvellous it would be to ring certain IT companies and be told, yes, they live in your community. <laughs> but anyway, I won't... Um, 
Um, Tony, what about uh, the Brotherhood and, and welfare organisations? How do you operate in, the, in that place-based way? Oh, look, it's critically important to think place uh, because when you think about it, uh, and, and one of the problems in a, a lot of uh, our social policy programs in Australia is that they're targeted to individuals and households, forgetting that those individuals and households actually live in a community and a community that has a certain ethos that will either create opportunities for people or throw up hurdles to people to building a good life for themselves. So to be effective in working in these communities, you've got to be part of, of those communities. You've got to have your people, um, uh, your, your people participating in those communities, um, you know, going to the food court or the local shopping plaza, etc. And when you look around Australia, um, uh, the, there is um, very significant numbers of communities where there is concentration of disadvantage, mm-hmm. where there's a lack of jobs, uh, where there, uh, there, there are, you know, uh, a greater concentration of people who are unemployed, uh, and often, actually, they're forced into those communities because of housing prices, um, because the, the better, uh, the, the cheaper, I won't say cheap, but the cheaper housing tends to be in communities where there isn't a density of jobs. So this concept of place is critically important uh, to our work uh, and our work is increasingly about uh, building local leadership in those communities and working with people rather than doing things to them, if you like. So, and so providing the opportunity for jobs and successful businesses in these communities is fundamental and that's something, Rhonda, you've, you've seen in the Latrobe Valley? Actually, there's an authority that's been set up that's encouraging um, industry to come to Latrobe Valley because there are actually there, there's a good skills base, and particularly since um, the closure of Hazelwood. But people don't want to leave; they can't afford to leave really because of housing prices, um, and so I, I think we feel a a real change happening in the valley where people are thinking we can do things differently. We're not reliant to be just the, the electricity supplier for Victoria. Um, we learnt enough when the old State Electricity Commission closed and was then um, privatised. Many people lost their jobs then and many people have, or many households, have three generations of unemployed and that is a very difficult situation for everyone in the valley. But there's starting to be a, um, a regeneration and a renewal to say, we can do something about it. And people are doing something about it, encouraging industry, encouraging things like that little neighbourhood development thing I was telling you about. And we um, can actually feel encouragement and response to it. But again, it's like Shane was saying that it's actually, it's about the relationships and it's actually being for, in the relationships for a long term, not just to be in and out and um, throw a bit of money. It is actually being there, rolling up your sleeves and doing something that makes a difference. And I actually can see that's 
um, starting to translate to the people within the Toy Valley, which is really encouraging to see. Uh, are there any particular ESG environment sustainability governance themes that AXI members are particularly focused on currently? There are, and it is a challenge to distill it down to a manageable number of issues to pursue, particularly because it's a bit reactive at times as well. But I guess the key things on our list at the moment are climate change. Um, and incorporated within that, I might say, Rhonda, is that concept of a just transition. You know, so we, we can't, we, we have to make this transition, but all of us need to be involved in making sure that the transition doesn't leave behind big swathes of our community. Mm. So climate change, uh, gender diversity on boards, and um, there's a, a basket of governance issues that we're always interested in, particularly around remuneration and so on. And the other one occupying our minds at the moment is corporate culture. So um, it's quite interesting. We, tend, we meet with uh, the chair and non-executive directors of company boards. That's our main contact point at companies. And we frequently have a conversation with them about, you know, asking them to describe the culture of their organisation. And you'd be surprised at uh, the number of times that these very senior people are not able to articulate what the culture of their organisation is. And that's a red flag for us, obviously. So I'm sure Shane's board will be. <laughs> David's very good at that, I might add. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take that up with Shane. So um, how does the ANZ prioritise in these areas? And, and you did mention earlier one of the things you're looking at is who do you bank with? Yep. How do you make those... Well, you know, we're a very large, complex organisation. As there are almost 50,000 people, 34 countries. We're in every nook and cranny of Australia and New Zealand in particular, but also around the world. So what we've said is, uh, in a complex, fast-changing world, it's better to pick a few things and do them really, really well than try and do too much. So this is true of our business as much as it is around the causes that we care about and the priorities. So our priorities are actually both aligned, and as I said, they are financial well-being, housing and the environment. And then what we've done is, that depending on the business units, they will skew towards different parts of those three. So, for example, here in Australia, for our Australia business, and Fred Olson, who runs that business, the skew is towards housing, and probably unsurprisingly. In New Zealand, interestingly, even though we're a very large bank, the skew is towards the environment, largely because of our, our influence uh, in our exposure in the agricultural sector there and the issues around water, etc. So, again... We leave that for the businesses to decide what's of importance to them rather than me dictating from the top, you shall be prioritising this or that. Well, just before we ask uh, you to ask some questions, I do want to raise something with Tony because all the focus has been on business and what business should do. But what about civil society and organisations like the Brotherhood? Do they need to lift their game in some way if there's going to be a better collaboration and better outcomes? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, part of the challenge is for us all uh, to, to break out of the sort of stereotypes we have of each other and, and of other sectors. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the, uh, one of the great experiences I've had working with ANZ and others is that you find in these big corporations there are people that share your objectives and your values. 
So uh, I think there has to be um, uh, a preparedness in the civil society organisations uh, to have an open mind about how who they're going to collaborate with and how they can collaborate with. And, um, you know, I said earlier, one of our maxims is we join hands with whoever shares our objectives. You know, that implies you can't afford to be too precious in these things. There, there, are, there will be aspects of the, the partner organisation that you might think um, you're a bit uncomfortable with or you disagree with. I'm sure there'll be things ANZ sure. and the Brotherhood would disagree about. But we focus on those things that we, we, we want to achieve together uh, and not allow the sort of ideology that sometimes uh, permeates the uh, social sector to get in the way of, of uh, achieving uh, what you know, we have demonstrated we're able to achieve. And how do you get that message through to some in the social sector that you know, may have just a total wall in their relationship with, with business? I, I think um, the way I... I'm, I'm quite confident about this, this because there are some terrific young people coming through our social sector who really switched on people... They, 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 they're not so ideologically driven uh, and they've got great values, uh, great energy and uh, they understand that uh, if we are to overcome these big social ills, uh, then we have to uh, engage with others. We've got to find the issues on which we can work together, the issues that take advantage of the core capabilities of uh, each organisation. I mean, one of the th- uh, so one of the things that I think is part of our culture and certainly one of the culture that we desire to be is around this kind of listening and engaging with uh, our customer base and community. And one of the great things, again, that I inherited that Jared Brown, who's sitting here, who started in the bank, was this idea of we need to formalise that listening. So we have in these regular civil society lunches where we get people like the Brotherhood or like Greenpeace, or like the Mayor of La Trobe Valley came, or the head of the un- one of the unions to come in, that people that we may not agree with on everything, but just to have a dialogue so that we learn to un- we get to understand their perspectives, and hopefully they get to a little bit understand our perspectives on things. I think those that's a small thing that has absolutely changed the way ANZ thinks about partners. Partner, partnering thinks about these issues, so we don't always put an A and Z lens on it. So we have a sense of empathy. So I understand your perspective. I, to your point, I may not agree with it, mm. but at least I understand what you're talking yeah. about, and I understand that your motivations are probably coming from a good place. They might just be different. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes on Air. Blue Notes on Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.